Anyway, as always, it's a privilege to preach, and it's also a great responsibility to preach. So we are in John, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, here Jesus, in chapter 2, had gone up to Jerusalem for the Passover, um, got riled up and threw all the money changers and all the animals out of the temple, got really upset at them. Sweet, gentle Jesus made a whip, cord of, you know, they're, they're sitting there and they're watching him. He's making, wonder what he's doing. <clears throat> he's getting probably angrier and angrier, and all of a sudden, wham, 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 throws over the, get us this stuff out of here. This is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves, a place of merchandise. You guys are probably cheating everybody on the money changing. Get out, 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 out. And they all, well, um, <clears throat> so then the big shots come along and say, um, Show us a sign that you have some authority to do this. And he said, ha, I'll show you, excuse me, I'll show you a sign. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it back up. And of course they have no clue what he's talking about. Oh, are you kidding? Are you joking? He said, it took us 46 years to get this far and you're going to do it in three days? I don't think so. He has no, they have no clue what he's talking about. There's a cathedral in Germany, I don't remember what city it's in, qualifies as a skyscraper because of the height of the uh, steeples. It took 500 years to build that, that building because it had to build the stone, put the stones in place, and then wait 50 years for the stones to settle. Did you know that buildings move? They do. All building material, no matter how nice it looks, it moves because the heat makes it expand and contract. <clears throat> and so, thank God that Jesus, speaking of buildings, is our firm foundation. Amen? So here we have the famous account of Nicodemus's secret meeting. He comes to meet with Jesus at night. It doesn't, I, I was tempted to look up and see. I wonder if there was a full moon that night. Or did he, did he bring a torch, you know, to find his way to Jesus? I wonder where Jesus was staying. But somehow, Nicodemus finds out and he goes to meet with Jesus. Now, interesting thing, Nicodemus is the Greek spelling of this man's name. And it means victorious among his people. This doesn't was, wasn't just anybody. He is a scholar. You don't get to be in his position as a Pharisee. You look what it says here. He's a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's on the Sanhedrin. He's on the council. He knows the scriptures. He's a big shot. But he comes to Jesus by night. And so, according to uh, the Oxford Annotated Bible, this is the meeting, the big meeting between official Judaism and Jesus himself. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He comes to Jesus by night. According to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary, he's struggling inside. He sincerely really wants to know about Jesus. But he's kind of scared because well, what are people going to think if I, myself, go, and they see me go talking to Jesus? What are people going to think about us if we tell them about Jesus? 
The other day, somebody told me, I, I told him, you know, I'll be 65 years old in November and I'm planning to retire soon. And he goes, you look pretty good for your age. And I said, that's because I've been living for God. And he got all excited because, man, that's great. That's what I've been doing too. <laughs> Praise God. Living for God has its benefits. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise God. So he comes to Jesus by night. Remember in chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, the Bible says that many believed in his name when they saw the signs, or as the King James calls it, the miracles that Jesus was doing there in Jerusalem. So, interesting thing, in Matthew Henry's commentary, it calls these people superficial believers. Remember, Jesus was not committing himself to anyone because he knew what was in the heart of men. If you know your Bible, you know that Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 and 10, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. People will tell you, oh, I have a good heart. Really? <laughs> How did you get it? Because if you were, you're not born again, you don't have a good heart. It's pretty easy to look at the news and, and read the news and, and, and see what's going on in the world. As you know, you don't have to teach little kids uh, to lie. It's in their nature. This thing... <clears throat> Praise God. Excuse me. Can you hear me now? <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Good thing this thing's flexible. All right, can you still hear me? <clears throat> I need some help. <laughs> Let's go ahead and... All right, testing one, two. Now it's stuck in my whiskers. I think, yeah, I, you can't tell, but I did trim my whiskers a little bit. <laughs> now it's up my nose. There we go, okay. Much better, I think. We're going to get this all right. <laughs> yes, you can have fun in church. <laughs> there we go. All right. Just don't move quickly and you should be okay. Okay, I'll try and keep my motions calm, cool, and collected. So, <clears throat> where were we? Superficial believers. Anybody ever meet a superficial believer? They claim to be a Christian, but their, their, their actions and their words uh, don't match up. So anyways, so Nicodemus, interesting thing. He comes privately to Jesus because he really wants to know. It's a good thing to want to know. Can you say amen? He comes, he... Uh, he uses prudence. He says, you know what? Think about this. If he would have gone in the, during the day, Jesus was probably very busy. Probably would go make an appointment. I'll meet you on the fifth Thursday of the every, uh, every, every other month. No, he comes to Jesus by night because he has an opportunity to speak with him privately. And he uses discretion because Jesus already had enemies at the time. So you don't want to stir up the enemies, especially if you're a, group, a member of the group of the enemies. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm going to go see Jesus. Wait a minute. You can't do that. You're one of us. So he uses prudence and discretion. 
but he has zeal also. He sets aside his own personal time to go meet Jesus. He could have done anything else that he wanted. It's a good thing to set time aside to be with Jesus. Amen? He had zeal. He didn't know if he'd ever be able to meet Jesus again. So he took the opportunity. And he was fearful also. If you notice, he comes tonight by night to Jesus because he's probably a little bit afraid of what people might think. But Jesus welcomes him. Glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? You can come to Jesus anytime, anywhere, any place, and he will welcome you. Amen. Praise God. Notice what happens later on in chapter 7, verses 50 and 51. Nicodemus speaks up in Jesus' defense when they say, you know, this guy's a troublemaker. We need to kill him. And Nicodemus says, does our law judge anyone before they actually have a trial? And they get all mad at him and they say, well, are you one of his followers too? And then, you know, at the end of the story, Jesus dies and Nicodemus buries him. He calls him rabbi. This is a title of respect, but this is the extent of Nicodemus's personal assessment of Jesus. He only sees him as a rabbi, as a teacher. But look what he says. We know. Isn't it a good thing to know, to have knowledge, to really, really know and really, really be assured? We know. We've investigated, he's saying. We've looked at all the evidence, and we are fully satisfied that you are a teacher come from God. Real miracles influenced Nicodemus to go against his own Sanhedrin's mindset. Real evidence. Anybody who tells you that Jesus is uh, uh, imaginary is a, a fool. Because they haven't looked at the evidence. There's lots and lots of historic evidence. The real Jesus really did exist. He really did walk on the earth. The controversy is, was he God or just a man? He's either a liar or lunatic or he's the Lord. Amen? Real miracles. And he says, we know that you have come from God. For no one can do these signs and miracles that you do unless God is with him. He was fully convinced. I hope this morning everyone in this room and everyone that's listening is fully convinced that Jesus is Lord and God. <clears throat> and then Jesus says, oh, I'm glad you can see that. Uh, well, let me uh, explain everything to you, you know, and, and uh, let me expound this to you. And I'm so glad that you noticed Jesus just point blanks, <laughs> pulls the trigger. Oh, really? Well, I'm glad you know that. Well, look at this. Listen. He says, and Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, or as I tell you the truth, verily, verily, very truly, I assure you most solemnly that unless one is born again, or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And if you notice, that word, I get the laser here, you, unless one 
In some versions, it uses the word you in English, unless you are born again. That word in that particular sentence is plural. So Nicodemus is being spoken to, but Jesus is not just speaking to Nicodemus in this sentence and further in the chapter. He's speaking to everybody. And he shakes Nicodemus's religion in order to make a stronger and enduring foundation. Nicodemus's spiritual vision, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary, required a permanent revolution of his inner man, a permanent change. When we come to Jesus, he changes us. We don't always experience it immediately. I remember when I first accepted Jesus, I started sweating. I started asking a bunch of questions, and they didn't have all the answers. Only Jesus has all the answers. But God began to change me, and he's still changing me. Hallelujah. He's at work in us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Born again, to begin life anew in relationship with God. Not just admiring Jesus. How many know Napoleon Bonaparte studied leaders to find out how am I going to? He raised the largest army that had ever been raised, 400 thousand soldiers and he marched into Russia in winter and he lost almost all of them he came out with like 28,000 all those other 300 some odd thousand guys froze to death but Napoleon was quoted as saying there's no leader there has never been a leader like Jesus because he studied leaders in order to find out how to motivate people He tried to conquer his known world, just like Hitler did. Tried to conquer the world, just like other people have tried. And Napoleon admired Jesus. But if you read anything about his lifestyle, he was not (coughs) apparently living for God. But this is not merely admiring Jesus. It's having a new relationship to God. It's to receive a new nature. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. <clears throat> this word, the technical term is called regeneration because the generation that we're born into because of Adam is sinful. If you read Acts chapter 2, verse 40, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches, and he, towards the end, they say, what must we do to be saved? Or what should we do? Get saved, get baptized. And he, he says, from many other words, he encourages them, but he's, there's this one sentence in uh, chapter 2, verse 40 of Acts, it says, be saved from this perverse or crooked generation. In other words, this generation has a problem with it. Being born into this world, is there's something intrinsically wrong with people and that's why everyone needs to be born again in the old king james version it says save yourselves from this untoward generation so what the heck is an untoward generation so i being curious and inquisitive i got out my big college dictionary and lo and behold an untoward 
item or anything of that nature. It's a mining term that means it's a, a mineral or a precious metal or something valuable that's difficult to be extracted from the ore. And so what this literally is talking about is people who are not born again, a lot of them resist God. No, you, God sees something valuable in them and they don't want to turn it over to God. Jesus came and died because he saw something so precious in us. Died in our place. Anybody ever try and talk to somebody? I saw a video the other day of some uh, guy. He was at some rally of some sort, and it was not a Christian rally, but he was there representing Jesus, and this knucklehead had grabbed his Bible and ripped it in half and wouldn't give it back. And he says, you know, that's a hate crime. Oh, no, it's not. So would you do that to a Quran? Oh, what's wrong with Muslims? And he wouldn't answer his question. He wouldn't, say, he wouldn't give him his Bible back, and he kept telling him, what's wrong with Muslims? What's wrong with Muslims? He said, you ripped up my Bible, and you won't give it back. I'm calling the cops. You could do that. <laughs> Call in the Philistines. They'll, <laughs> they'll take care of this guy. But this is a man who was resisting God. He was, he was adamantly opposed to Jesus. You'll find people like that. They don't want to have anything to do. Don't, don't tell me about Jesus. I remember many years ago, uh, somebody told me, you know, if you want to be my friend, don't tell me about this stuff. So the next time I saw him, I said, you know what? If I really was your friend, I would tell you. And he said, yeah, you're right. Well, I don't know if he ever got saved. I had never seen him again. But to be his friend, I share the love of God with him. If, if I wasn't your friend, if I didn't care about you, I wouldn't tell you about Jesus. Praise God. So in regeneration, being born again, Jesus tells him, that's what you got to do. Everybody has to be born again. Oh, Nicodemus says, oh, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> no, oh, he doesn't. He doesn't get it. He goes, what? Huh? What are you talking about? I don't get it. So Jesus said, you know, can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? How can he be born when he's old? That doesn't make sense, Jesus. Of course it doesn't make sense in the natural because Jesus isn't talking about a natural birth. Because if, if, if you could possibly do that, you'd still be born into the old nature and the old sinful realm. Even if you did that, could physically do that, it wouldn't help you at all. Praise God. Jesus, then again, he uses this phrase. Truly, truly, I'm telling you the truth. Listen to me, this is most important. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then here's the answer to the question about going back in the womb. That which is born of the flesh, the sinful nature is the sinful nature. That which is born of the Spirit, you'll notice it's capital S, meaning the Spirit of God is Spirit. Of water. Psalm 51 verse 2 says, Wash me thoroughly. How many know King David was a prophet? Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. At this time in history, people were being baptized for repentance by John the Baptist and Jesus' disciples. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 says these words, 
Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I, this is God speaking through the prophet, will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Glory to God. What a wonderful promise. This is the, the, the water that Jesus is talking about. Praise God. It also says in the New Testament that the, the Word of God is like water cleansing us. We need our minds renewed. Hallelujah. Everybody, or have you ever, let me ask you this question, have you ever been trying to tell somebody about the things of God and a scripture pops in your head appropriate for that moment? I am hoping and believing that these scriptures would have popped into uh, Nicodemus's mind as Jesus is trying to explain to him. And as far as the Spirit goes, in Ezekiel chapter 36, continuing on, verse 26 and 27, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Again, David the king in Psalm 51 verse 10, he says, create in me a clean heart. This is being born again. How you get a new heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Remember what it said in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. To all who do receive Jesus, who believe in his name, God gives the right or the privilege or the power to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The new birth is something that God does for us. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. What a good God we have. Then in verse 7, Jesus tells him, do not marvel. Don't be surprised. I'm, one of these days, I'm going to do a word study on all the places in the Bible where it says marvel and marvelous. Praise God. I think that would be a good thing to do. You, Jesus confirms you, and here's that word you, which is plural again. It means everyone must be born again. No exceptions. Everyone must be born again. The womb, exiting the womb, produces the same depraved flesh. Everyone must be born again. Hallelujah. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In light of God's holiness, being born again is absolutely necessary. When you come to the place like I did many years ago, when I knew I'm not right with God, I knew I deserved it to go to hell. I knew that scripture, the wages of sin is death, and wondered why God didn't kill me and send me there. Because I knew that's what I deserved. When you come to that place, I remember hearing a story of this pastor. He said his wife was in tears. He said, what's the matter? I said, oh, I just remember this awful sin I did many, many years ago. And I, and I need God to forgive me for it. Well, what was it? You know those little white round things that go on the holes in the paper? Well, I stole one from the stationery store. It's like, really? That's all you did? And it convicted her so badly. 
because she knew it was wrong and she did it anyway and she stole that little tiny thing and it bothered her conscience. Hallelujah. Thank God she didn't do anything really bad. <laughs> Hallelujah. But that's the wonderful thing is that if your conscience bothers you, God will forgive you. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. The flesh, those who are not born again, are still subject to the law of sin and death. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, it says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But it also says in chapter 8, verse 1, that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you get in Christ Jesus by getting Christ Jesus in you. Amen? Pretty simple. Let's go on. So Nicodemus again says, I got it. Oh, okay, I understand completely. <laughs> no, he goes, what? Huh? He's, huh? I don't, I don't think he did it like that, but you know, he probably said, wait a minute. What do you mean? So Jesus <laughs> tells him, he says, how can these things be? So Jesus answers him and says, are you the teacher of Israel? Now, this is interesting to me. The commentary says, think about this. To whom were the oracles of God given? To the people of Israel. This was a new thing, pretty much. Abram left his hometown, left his family, left everything, because God told him, I'm going to take you to another place and give you this land, and that's a promise. And not only that, but in those days, before Abram began his relationship with God, People worshipped all kinds of stuff, just like they do today. Worship all kinds of stuff. Abram introduced, or God used Abram to introduce to the world one God, the creator of everything. One God to be worshipped and loved. One God who created all things for himself and for us. Are you a teacher? You've received the oracles of God. If I... <clears throat> And yet you do not understand these things. And then here's this phrase Jesus uses again. Truly, truly, I'm telling you the truth. I most sincerely and solemnly assure you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. This is, the, this is the, the, another instance where the use of the word you is plural in here. I say to you, we speak what we know, but you do not receive our testimony. <clears throat> there are people who will not. They are, they are what the Bible calls willfully ignorant. They do not want to know. They will not investigate. They'll listen to all kinds of stuff. But the Bible tells us here, Jesus says, you can know. If you read John's first letter, Throughout his whole letter, he says, these things, we know. This we know for a fact, for truth. We're convinced. We're fully, fully convinced. Jesus taught about heavenly things that were absolute truths, and he used earthly illustrations in some instances. And these illustrations were not, you know, stories and power. Some were parables, but they were used to illustrate truths. Heavenly things. What are some of the heavenly things in the next 
verse. If I told you earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? What are the heavenly things? Nicodemus acknowledged Jesus as a teacher come from God. In other words, he says he's calling Jesus a prophet, just like in the next chapter, the, the woman at the wells uh, perceives Jesus as a prophet, doesn't perceive that Jesus is God come in the flesh. This is the heavenly things, the incarnation that God, God himself, this is just mind-blowing sometimes, God came out of eternity in the form of a baby and became a human being like you and I, God lived and walked among us as a human being. I don't know. I kind of just <laughs> I, blows my mind. But this is one of the heavenly things that the incarnation, God come in the flesh. Revelation has come down. God came to earth. You see here, Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. That's the son of man. This is kind of confusing because if you noticed in the Old Testament, Enoch ascended to heaven and so did Elijah. But Jesus, for some reason, he's not talking about humans, basically here. <clears throat> he's talking about the Son of Man. And every Jewish scholar knew what he was saying here. The Son of Man is the Messiah, the promised one. The anointed one. God came to earth from heaven. Revelation has come down. No one has gone up there to get it. Revelation came down to us. And then in verse 14, he tells them, this is my purpose. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, if you know the story in Numbers chapter... Numbers chapter 21, verses 5 through 9, the people complain. They speak against Moses and God. And God sends some snakes in, and they're poisonous, and they bite some people, and people start dying. But God, being merciful, says, Moses gets in front. God, God, stop, stop. What do we do? Make a snake out of brass and have everybody just look at it. Is that simple? Yes, that's simple. Everybody just look. Look and live. I have a book at home. I have not read yet, called Look and Live, talking about Jesus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. They knew what he was talking about here. They knew that he was, and further on in one of the other chapters, Jesus tells them again, he's going to be lifted up, indicating his crucifixion. But glory to God, chapter 12, verse there's 32, um, or 31 and 32, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22 says these words, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. God who was offended by sin produces the remedy. He supplied the remedy. Hallelujah, Jesus. Look and live. Jesus came to heal us and remove our guilt. Looked and live. You looked at the snake. That snake had no poison in it. The other snakes did. Don't look at those snakes. Look at the one that's got to cure. Jesus. Hallelujah. 
And then John chapter 20, chapter 5. <clears throat> we'll look at that in just a minute. We'll go to the next verse. The most famous verse in all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. <clears throat> Let's look at this scripture for just a moment. It's the most famous verse because verse 17, this is the purpose. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And obviously this is not talking about the earth. This is talking about society. This is talking about people. <clears throat> this is the proof of his love. God's purpose. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have, as soon as you believe, you have that eternal life. Well, having fun in there. Praise God. You possess, as soon as you receive Jesus as your Savior, you possess that eternal life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says these words, that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us in order that we can become the righteousness of God in him. What a glorious exchange. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? The proof of his love. God proves, demonstrates his love this way. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The godly for the ungodly. In Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. That is the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. How many know God is super rich? Super, super, super rich. He lavished, <coughs> excuse me, his love on us and all wisdom and understanding. And therefore, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation to or on those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. As soon as you receive Jesus, John chapter 5, verse 24 says these words. Jesus says, most assuredly, I'm telling them the truth. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We can have full assurance. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Who believes in him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The verdict is in because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And the amazing thing is that Jesus also said, unless the Father draws you, you will not come. That's always been one of the difficult scriptures because there are some people that believe, well, God's going to save whoever he's going to save, so don't try to save anybody. But that's not true. How do you know if you don't speak to them? 
whether God's dealing with them. How do you know that whether or not you plant a seed of Scripture in them, one plants and another waters, but God gives the increase. Can you say amen? So it's up to us. We're supposed to be telling people about Jesus because it's good news to be forgiven. Every time I put my socks on, I remember I lent my oldest brother a pair of my good wool socks. And he being the firstborn, he was a tough guy. He believed in the survival of the fittest. So I carefully put my socks on. He grabbed the sock and he goes to put it on and he rips them. Those are my best socks. (laughs) Every time I put my socks on, it's like, God, why can't I just get rid of that memory? That's what God wants us to do is when we forgive is to get rid of those memories. Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. But God is good. Unfortunately, this is the deplorable condition of those who will not repent. Of those who persist in unbelief and willful ignorance according to Matthew Henry's commentary. Failure to believe, according to the Jewish New Testament, is not a moral issue, but it's an issue of whether or not you believe God. For those that are not saved, this is their condition. Light, this is Jesus, has come into the world, and people love our darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The problem with mankind is everyone is madly in love with themselves. They, that, <laughs> I had a high school teacher. He would tell us, you know, step on everybody. Just get to the top. And he would <laughs> tell us, repeat after me. Step on your mother, your brother, your father, your sister. Step on everybody, but get to the top. Really, what kind of... <laughs> What kind of family did you grow up in, (laughs) teacher? The deplorable condition of those who will not believe. They do not come to the light lest their works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, and this is the condition of the saint, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Can you say, man, that's a good thing to do, is to do the will of God and to work what God would have us to do. Amen. We, <clears throat> we need inspiration from God. I pray, as I was praying this morning in the prayer room, God, not only do I pray that you give us all a hearing ear, I thank you. Thank God that he will give us a hearing ear. If we'll pay attention God will give us inspiration. God will, the Holy Spirit will bring scriptures to your remembrance as you're trying to tell somebody about Jesus. God does those things. And I I hope and pray that that's what happened to Nicodemus as Jesus was talking to him. That those scriptures, oh, it would come to his mind. That's a good thing. Can you say amen? Well, praise God. 